morning, Fresno, Central California, and the entire state of California. Hope you had a wonderful Father's Day and you are able to avoid some of the baking heat that is roiling Central California. I think we're projected to be 110 degrees today, maybe 111. And I am Jonathan Keller from California Family Council. Happy to be joining you here on Life, Family, Liberty. We have a jam-packed show today, and we are very uh, blessed and grateful to be joined by a very special guest, Assemblyman Jim Patterson, who represents many of the wonderful citizens here in the central San Joaquin Valley. Assemblyman Patterson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jonathan. It's always a, always a treat. Thanks. Well, we wanted to talk about something that's a little bit a little bit outside of our normal set of subject matter. As the show title implies, we generally focus on things relating to the sanctity of human life, the importance of marriage and family, and the necessity of religious liberty. But there's something going on in Sacramento, a vote that happened really being rammed through last week that I think our listeners really need to hear about. Uh, There are two bills that the Senate Democrats have introduced, Senate Bill 96 and Assembly Bill 112. You spoke in opposition to these bills on the floor. Tell us a little bit about why you're opposing these bills and this this effort by the Democrats to radically change the recall system in California. Well, first of all, Jonathan, the the, the recall system in California is uh, age-old. It is part of the uh, essentially the Constitution of the state of California, uh, it is a process that has worked well for a long, long time, which basically gives voters the opportunity to recall an elected official. Uh, you know, we work for the for the people, and uh, if uh, a member does some things that are that are so outrageous to the people he represents, then they they stand for a recall. The process uh, is gathering signatures and getting on the ballot, and then there's an election. Right. Well, well the Democrats. Uh, don't like that process right now because one of their own who voted for the gas tax increase down in the Riverside area really was at really crossed swords with uh, their own his own uh, voters in that area. There is a very uh, strong recall effort uh, underway right now, and it would strip the Democrats of their supermajority in the Senate if, in fact, that recall took place. As a direct result, they have now decided uh, right in the middle of a uh, obvious recall that will uh, diminish their uh, strength and power in Sacramento, they now are changing the rules in midstream, right in the middle. And it basically allows the legislature to stick its nose into the recall. Uh, It takes a whole lot more time to get the recall uh, qualified uh, uh, and in the case of an assembly member, it will literally run the clock out uh, on an assembly member because of the two-year terms we serve. It would almost be virtually impossible to recall an assembly member. So for a lot of reasons, this is just a bold, blatant play, political play, to change the recall rules because one of their own is in uh, real serious political trouble. Well, and the last significant change that we had to the recall uh laws in the state of California was back in 1994. But as you mentioned, this is not a, a recent provision in California law. The recall laws in California have been a part of our state's constitution since 1911. So 106 years, these rules have essentially worked pretty well. And the thing that really scares me the most, John Girardi from Right to Life of Central California is with me. He and I were talking about this on air. 
beyond the fact that it runs out the clock, the thing that really is chilling to me is the fact that it publicizes the names of everybody who signs these recall petitions, and it gives them uh, supposedly under the guise of transparency, it gives them the right to change their signature within 30 days. Well, I'm sorry, Jim. I, I know there are some good friends of ours on the other side of the aisle, but I also know I don't want to trust radical Democrat progressive activists with these names. I would be afraid to sign one of these petitions if I knew my name, my family's home address was going to be publicized and available to these radical groups. I, that really just seems to be chilling for free speech and for democracy. Yeah, I think that's probably the uh, scariest part of all of this and demonstrates the length to which uh, the Democrats will go uh, uh, politically using their supermajority. In other words, uh, this is a corruption. I mean, this is really what uh, banana republics start to look like. This is when uh, people like Hugo Chavez will, uh, you know, manipulate the way that uh, elections take place because he was, you know, unpopular and challenged by you know, uh, millions of, uh, of Venezuelans. So, I mean, that, that this is really very, very scary. I think the biggest uh, concern I have uh, echoes yours. It is the intrusion. It, it literally is, I think, the intimidation uh, factor that is at play here, uh, where the access to these uh, kinds of, this kind of private information, ballot box information, this strikes right at the heart of the fundamental voting and constitutional protection we have that our votes are, in fact, private. And, and our, our points of view uh, are ours and that we can hold them without fear of intimidation by the political class. Oh, absolutely. And quite frankly, that's exactly what this attempts to do. Well, absolutely. And, and you mentioned the fact there's a lot of people I know. I've I've met journalists and I've met private citizens that say, look, the voting booth is sacrosanct. Uh, it's the closest thing we have in American democracy to a confessional booth. And I don't have to tell you who I want to, who I voted for. Uh, and they want to have that privacy. And as well, they should. No one should be forced to disclose their vote by any legislation. And the fact that this forces people's signature to be disclosed. Essentially, they're, it, it's, it's very similar to a vote, in my opinion. And the fact that you would now mandate statutorily all from one party, you would have these the Democrats in Sacramento demanding that they get to peer inside the voting booth, peer inside the heart and the mind and the conscience of these citizens – and demand that they find out who they are, where they live, and have an opportunity yeah. to change their mind. I mean, that's that's really scary. I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's too much of a stretch, like you said, to say this this begins to approach Banana Republic territory. This is typical, though, of what the, the, the Democrats in Sacramento try to do. And I know this sounds like it might be disconnected, but I think it's precisely connected. They want to peer inside. Uh, my heart and my soul and my children's heart and soul with respect to their religious convictions and with respect to their uh, points of view with res with respect to uh, sanctity of life and 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 the and marriage between a man and a woman Jonathan they have attacked Christian universities and tried to strip out equal protection under the law that Christian students would have going to a viola or going to uh, Pacific uh, University, right. because they have a traditional and biblical viewpoint of 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 life and of also also of marriage. 
this should be very, very scary for people because the reach of one rule party uh, government crosses the line to dictatorial acts. These are very close, and I think in the instance of trying to peer into the ballot box and peer into your soul and get the government uh, somehow in the middle of this in a way that intimidates or close down free expression of the electorate, my goodness, if this is not close to dictatorial rule by by one, by one party in the state of California. I don't know what is. No, absolutely. And I think the reality, folks, as you're listening to this, this is, even if you're a Democrat listening to us today, whether you're on the podcast or listening here in Central California, you're one of Assemblyman Patterson's constituents. Maybe you're one of Joaquin Arambula's constituents. Uh, and I'm sorry to say, but Joaquin Arambula voted for this bill. The reality is that this is bad for all parties involved. If the shoe were on the other foot, I would be opposing this bill just as vigorously if the Republicans were trying to do this to the Democrats. It's not a partisan issue. It's really an issue of our democratic, constitutional republic form of government. But Jonathan, look, I, I, I really trust the people I trust, the, the voters I trust, the electorate. You give us an opportunity to make our case for the kind of public policy and the kind of decision-making that uh, elected representatives should make. And I think we can win hearts and minds, and I think we can win elections. Where the, where the Democrats cross the line is they – I don't think this demonstrates a respect for the electorate. This demonstrates that they're afraid of it. And the more closely that they are held accountable for tax increases or reaching too far deep into uh, our own conscience and our own uh, exercise of our religious and free speech rights and try to – impinge upon those and try to scare us out of uh, some of our fundamental civil rights, my goodness, this, this is really serious stuff. And I think that's one of the reasons why they've approached this, uh, and that is that they're, they're afraid of the outcome. Uh, when free people in a free society start looking at their elected officials and saying, you know what, that individual crossed the line, we, we just think that somebody else should come in here, we want to recall them, and the Democrats are deciding that they're that, that they're going to intimidate and they're going to manipulate the process. That is an insult to the electorate, but it also demonstrates that they are afraid of the electorate and are willing to use their power to intimidate it. That's the scary part of this. Jim, this is John Girardi from Right to Life of Central California. I'm often co-hosting with Jonathan. I had a question for you. I mean, looking at the history of recalls in California, the last one that actually qualified for the ballot was it was 10 years ago with Jeff Denham. The last successful one was obviously Gray Davis in 03. So I can't think that there are such huge ongoing problems with the recall process. Are, are the Democrats even trying to give some sort of justification for changing this? Like, Or, or is this just... I mean, the language no, you're using, no, the language no, you're yeah. using is very like this is this is Hugo Chavez. This is di- dictatorial. And I'm inclined to agree with you if, if they're not giving any justification other than raw political power uh, for why they're changing this. I think if anybody had a, a, an opportunity to watch discussion on the floor in the assembly over this bill, they would have seen precisely what this was all about. They start the Democrats started out in this righteous approach that, you know, we want to make the recall transparency. And when we challenged it on the floor, it became obvious that they were, this was just a real phony uh, argument. And it was, toward the end of the debate, one of the Democrats stood up and blatantly admitted 
that this was needed because of the politics involved in the Josh Newman recall. Wow. And we all, we all just sat back and said, guilty as charged, Democrats. Guilty as charged. You have admitted this on the floor. So, we, you know, the mask is stripped away. Uh, and look, this has even raised serious issues with the, uh, with the mainstream media. The Democrats are overreaching and overplaying with their, their supermajority, and they are getting dangerous, and the mainstream media is beginning to notice it. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for that, because I think the mainstream media has often been sort of the, uh, you know, the pamphleteer for the uh, left-wing Democrats in the state of California. But even when uh, one-party rule goes too far, and it is so self-evident that it is too far, even the mainstream media can say, whoa, wait a minute, this is a big reach. So I have significant uh, consequences to this politically, and you can rest assured that we Republicans are going to use this attack on free people and a free constitutional republic to uh, make it, uh, hopefully, make it much more difficult for Democrats to elect uh, not just uh, the Josh Newmans of the world, but uh, uh, my hope is a dozen others. Uh, I think I think uh, the pendulum can start to swing here. The more we're able to say clearly that this is what one-party rule looks like, and whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, or an Independent, uh, you are being attacked at the very core of who you are and what you are as a free citizen in a, in a free republic by one-party rule that thinks it can do just about anything it wants to to us anytime because they have the power to do it. Absolutely. And folks, I think this is one reason why you need to you need to really follow what's going on in Sacramento. This is part of the reason why California Family Council exists. It's one reason why, as an organization, we partner with people like Assemblyman Patterson to try to get the word out. Uh, Assemblyman Patterson, we're up against a break here, but when we come back, I'm going to give people your Twitter account. Thanks for joining us. I know you're on your way to the Capitol right now. Thank you for staying on top of this and getting the word out. We'll be praying for you and all people up there working to stop these horrible bills. Jonathan, keep up the good work. I appreciate what you do. It's, uh, it's an important work, and it has impact and influence in Sacramento as well. Thank you. Awesome. I appreciate it, Jim. God bless. And, folks, we'll be back here in just a couple minutes on this episode of Life, Family, Liberty. Welcome back to Life, Family, Liberty, a radio show and podcast from California Family Council. I am Jonathan Keller, your humble host. Happy to be with you today alongside my intrepid partner in crime, John Girardi. Good to be here. That was quite the interview with uh, Assemblyman Patterson. Boy, he's steaming. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. And Rightfully steaming. We will uh, we'll post a link to some of the floor speeches from him and from Assemblymember Kevin Kiley on our Twitter page and on our Facebook page, if you'd like to watch some of that. Yeah, for those of you in the audience who don't know about, uh, obviously, Patter- Jim Patterson's reputation in Fresno is uh, pretty widespread and clear. Kevin Kiley's another real uh, young superstar, I think, in uh, the California State Assembly. He's a Harvard Law grad, and he's super conservative. We, we first met him at a statewide pro-life conference mm-hmm. before he was elected, so you can tell, like, People who voluntarily go to things like that are tend to be pretty good people. So, Absolutely. And I think that we do have, folks, some very solid people up there in Sacramento. And uh, the important thing here is this is, not a, this is not a partisan thing. 
I, w- I want to be clear. Both of our organizations are 501c3 educational yeah. organizations. We are not sectarian or partisan on this issue. Not a bit. And that's why I think when we talked about Assemblyman Patterson, he made the point that this is not an attack on the Republicans. It's an attack on the rights of the minority, and it's a right an attack on the rights of the citizenry. The fact that you have people out there in their district who have signed a recall petition and are now being told, well, did you really mean to sign that petition? I, John, we were a little pressed for time with, with Assemblyman Patterson, so we didn't really sure. explain kind of the tenets of this bill. But right. the gist of it is when you sign a recall petition, there's people – we've all seen them outside of supermarkets and coffee shops and you know Walmart, etc. that are – and they've got a table. They've got clipboards. They're saying, hey, sure. recall this elected individual because we don't like their job performance. We don't like a vote they took. Yeah. It's a unique feature of California democracy. Right. Not a lot of other states have direct recall elections. But the fact that we're able to do it, I think, helps keep our elected officials honest and accountable. And basically what they're trying to do here is, in addition to running out the clock and adding delays upon delays upon delays – Like we said in the last segment, the scariest part of this to me is the fact that now if you sign that petition, your name, your address, your signature, all your personal information there is now available to the campaign of the person you want to recall. Right, and it's made scarier I think because of the legacy of of Proposition 8. Um, for those of you who don't mm. re- who remember good, that, very very good point. A- after Proposition Eight, the database of who contributed to Proposition Eight, uh, the, the Los Angeles Times very helpfully uh, published the entire database on their website, and they were using that as a way to intimidate anyone who had contributed to Prop Eight. So guys like uh, Brendan Eich from, uh, from who was. Uh, a bigwig, an executive at Firefox, co-founder of co-founder uh, Mozilla of Firefox, Foundation, of, yeah. of Mozilla. Uh, he wound up losing his job because of that. So, th- th- I think if it had it not been for this, I think I'd be less concerned. Had it not been for this prior legacy that liberals have established of, yeah, we're going to use things that you're contributing to, signing on to politically, and publicize that as a way to intimidate you, as a way to give you cold feet, as a way to discourage you from ever participating in something conservative ever again. Uh, So, I mean, it it just strikes me as so odd that we would protect the voting booth as something sacrosanct and and require privacy protections and, and strict oversight of that at the polling booth. But when it comes to signing a recall petition, which is every bit as much part of your right to participate yep. in this democratic Republican form of government that we have here in the state of California, that this is – no, we need total transparency. You don't need transparency of that sort. That's not what – that's not the idea behind transparency. I mean transparency might be valuable for seeing which you know, uh, which corporations are donating to a politician. I could understand that, but this is something different. This is individual people exercising their democratic rights under the Constitution of the state of California to recall someone, and you're publicizing that in a way that is, I think, every bit as intimidating as having an open voting booth where people can see what name you're jotting down. Absolutely. Uh, It's absolutely appalling. Folks, we're going to keep talking about this a little bit more. I know it's a little departure from our normal set of topics, but this is such a big deal. I think we really need to get into it a little bit more. If you'd like to call in 442-1680 here in Fresno, 559-442-1680 to be part of this episode of Life, Family, Liberty. Thank you. 
Welcome back to this episode of Life, Family, Liberty from California Family Council. I'm your host, Jonathan Keller. We've been talking today about several bills coming out of the Sacramento legislature, uh, both dealing with the issue of recalls. And one of those bills we talked about just passed. It was Senate Bill 96. It was passed off the Senate floor by a vote of 26 to 11 with three votes abstaining. And it passed out of the assembly with a vote of 52 to 27 with one vote abstaining. So overwhelmingly passed in both these cases. It was, I think, all Democrats who voted in favor of it. And there were, in the case of the assembly at least, several Republicans that were, excuse me, several Democrats that joined the Republicans in opposing it. And the opposition is bipartisan. And I think it really should be bipartisan because, as we said, this is a chilling attack on our democracy. John, we were talking on the break. The thing that's scary about this to me is that you mentioned last segment about the Proposition 8 case. At least with that, it's cold comfort, I know, for those people who were hounded or lost their jobs or even had to move because they were being picketed and attacked. But at least in that case, most of the people who were targeted for harassment were high-dollar donors, people that were giving you know $1,000 or more, $10,000, $50,000, whatever it was. Even in the case of Brendan Eich, I think the reason he was targeted was because of his high profile within a Silicon Valley tech place. And you know, generally speaking, that's uh, very liberal places of business. The problem with this bill is that this doesn't matter whether or not you've ever given any money to a Republican or a Democrat. This doesn't matter whether or not you are even registered as a Republican or Democrat. You could be an independent, nonpartisan person, and you can say, look, I think that the gas tax is a bad idea. I think that the fact that Josh Newman voted for it does not represent me and my family's values. And you could even have changed your mind. You could be you could be a registered Democrat, a Josh Newman voter, and say, this is not why I sent this man to Sacramento to represent me and my family. And yet it doesn't matter because as soon as your name is published, anybody, sure. whether it's moveon.org, whether it's Code Pink, whether it's Equality California, Planned Parenthood, the SEIU, any liberal progressive constituency group can target you and your family. They can pick at your house. They can harass you at work. They can begin to stage protests or rallies outside of where you go to church. There's really no limit to how this opens up average everyday citizens for harassment. Yeah, and and beyond that, you know, the the lawless nature of this, you know, I, I'm I'm currently looking right now at the California Constitution. So the California Constitution first uh, one of the things it says about the recall elections is that votes in a recall election are to be uh, – the, the privacy of recall votes is to be protected. So, I mean, I, why, why the votes in a recall election are to be kept private uh, versus the signatures that are collected, why those should be public, I, I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's every bit as much of a part of the democratic process. Uh, and beyond that, uh, I mean, it seems like this – it seems to me that this could be an unconstitutional law that the Democrats are attempting to pass, that it's in violation of the California Constitution. The California Constitution, if you're going to amend it, it requires two-thirds votes of both houses uh, in the state legislature, and it requires a, some referendum or some something passed by the people in a general yeah, election. it has to be ratified so by the people. I, I, I'm not even sure that this is a legal – I mean, this seems like a legal thing. I don't know who, if, if there's any power to challenge it. Um, but gosh, I mean, this is so 
brazen and blatant. Well, on- the other reason why I think it's brazen, John, like you said, they've tried to couch this to avoid the two-thirds vote issue, which, by the way, they could do if they wanted to because sure. they have, they have they would both have houses. To, but then they'd have to wait for the people actually to vote on it, and they, they this is time-sensitive. They don't want Josh Newman to lose his seat. And this is even worse because normally what happens is when you introduce a bill in Sacramento, normally if it's a majority bill, it'll go into effect – at the beginning of the next year, unless right. unless otherwise stated, so it would go into effect in January. Well, that would but be not too this late. Bill. <laughs> that would be too late to help Josh Newman, this specific Democrat from Southern California. So what they actually did, John, they attached it to a budget bill. It's part of a provision, right. and that means that means it'll come into effect immediately. It goes into effect immediately. Immediately, And because they couched it inside the budget bill, it means it's much harder for Governor Brown to say, look, I don't like this idea. I think this is wrong, and I'm going to veto it. I actually think – I don't know for sure, but I have to think that even Governor Brown would think this might be a little bit of a bridge too far other than the fact that they have tried to essentially tether this – almost irreversibly to the budget bill. Right. I mean, he he doesn't have a line item veto, I don't believe, and he he's not going to sink his whole budget just to just to harm his own party politically. I mean, it's just bizarre. And, and Jonathan, I think it's important maybe I'll I'll pass this off to you. You know, this is a show about uh defense of innocent human life and religious liberty and the defense of the traditional family. Like this seems like a very political issue, but bring it around to why you think this is sort of critically important for those of us who care about these issues, for people who care about these issues. Well, John, again, you mentioned the fact – you tied this into the issue with uh, Proposition 8 and the way that those people were targeted. And Assemblyman Patterson in his interview talked about the fact that this goes to the heart of someone's conscience. And in that sense, I think it does have a lot of crossover with what we talk about in relation to religious liberty. The reality is that anytime you have a government that is big enough to not just protect you from foreign threats, not just big enough to have police on the street that protect you in a community, and maybe not just big enough to tax you to make sure that we're paying for roads and infrastructure and things like that, if you have a government that is so big that they can reach inside – this sounds a little a bit of hyperbole, but honestly, they can reach inside your conscience, inside your soul and say, we want to know what your motives are, what you're thinking, and we want to justify – we want to be able to prohibit those actions that we think are outside of – what we deem to be the normal bounds of society. And, and we talked about this last week with uh, Bernie Sanders when he was qu- questioning Russell Vogt, the nominee for the Office of Management and Budget. Yeah, basically saying that Christians are incapable of serving in government. I right. Mean, and, and, and I think, I think you're 100% right that if, if, if they feel like they're strong enough to basically intrude on the voting process, or in this case upon the recall process, to intimidate people – who are trying to recall someone, I mean, they've basically put no limit on what they can do. This is totally against the California Constitution. It's totally unlawful. And I think Assemblyman Patterson's right. This is kind of Hugo Chavez-esque. Who knows where they're going to stop if they don't think there's any way to stop them. No, absolutely. Folks, if you'd like to chime in on this, you can give us a call, 559-442-1680. We've got more to talk about coming up next on Life, Family, Liberty.
Welcome back to Life, Family, Liberty. I am your host, Jonathan Keller, joined by my co-host, John Girardi. Good to be here, Jonathan. And we would like to give a shout out, a special shout out to all of the mailer volunteers. I know I have a mailing going on right now at the California Family Council office. And John, I know a lot of those volunteers are... Uh, Some of them are board members of Right to Life of Central California. So (laughs) So thank you, folks. I I have been informed that they are all listening to the program, to John and I. So thank you very much for your help. I know... uh, Good to see you, Patty and... Patty and uh, Bernadette and the whole gang over there. Everybody else, all the folks that are there, thank you very much. Nellie and, and all the gang. Olivia and Deacon, our youngest volunteers who are oh, over good. there helping out. So uh, really appreciate everybody over there. And, John, just as, as a side note, I do think it's important. The work that we do with California Family Council and with Right to Life Central California really would not be possible without our great volunteers. And, and with our non-great volunteers. No, just kidding. All of our volunteers are great. Uh, and by the way, if you want to learn more about Right to Life of Central California, that's hey, my hey. organization, uh, go to righttolifeca.org. Excuse me. You can check out our new website. You can go to facebook.com slash righttolifeca, twitter.com slash righttolifeca. Uh, we have a lot of really great initiatives, including our Save the Black Family event, uh, which is uh, co-sponsored by SAFE, an organiza- a local organization, Saving All Families Everywhere. And it focuses on how abortion is uh, drastically and seriously negatively impacting the African-American family. It'll be at the West Side Church of God in Fresno this Saturday, uh, June 24th, uh, from 10 to 2 p.m. Uh, you can learn more about it at righttolifeca.org. Just look for events. Absolutely. And I'm very excited. I'm going to try to make it to that event myself, John. I think it'll be very good. Awesome. Obviously, Walter Hoy is a wonderful, wonderful guest speaker who's going to be coming in. And I think it's important. Uh, Listening to your interview with Pastor Tyrone Carter last week was really eye-opening. I... I obviously I know the statistics, but just hearing again from Pastor Carter the fact that the African American population in the United States is the one ethnic group that is actually shrinking. Right. That I mean, you need to have I think an average couples need to have an average of two point one kids per couple in order to have a replacement rate for births. Um, obviously, two people need to have two kids to replace themselves, and you need point one to account for accidents and infant mortality rates and stuff. Uh, but uh, because of abortion, because abortion kills more people than heart disease and cancer in, within the African-American community, uh, it, it totally dwarfs all of those things. The birth rate in African-American populations is so low that African-Americans are actually the only ethnic group that's not replacing themselves mm-hmm. in the United States. So, Well, and folks, if you want to find out more about that, again, go to righttolifeca.org, John's yep. great organization. And I, I've been involved with them for a long time. I was blessed to get to start with Right to Life back in 2003, and I worked for them for 11 years. And very, very happy that John Girardi is at the helm there, steering the ship yep. and doing a great job. So, so back to the <laughs> this recall mess. Oh, yeah. So we did a little digging during the break. So this is from the California state constitution. Okay, so you have the U.S. constitution. Each state has its own constitution. The California constitution is what gives the timetable for how recalls work. It says in the California constitution, proponents have 160 days to file signed petitions uh, for the recall of a state officer. It then goes on to say that the election to recall an officer should be held no less than 60 days nor more than 80 days from the date of certification of sufficient signatures. Now, that's in the Constitution of the state. That's not just a normal law. That's in the state constitution. And to amend the state constitution, you need a vote of the people. You need two-thirds of both houses of the 
state legislature and a vote by the people. And what is happening in Sacramento is that they're just passing a law to amend the recall process. Right. I don't think that's constitutional. I, I think that that's an illegal – I think that's an attempt to change the constitution through illegal, uh, unlawful means. Yes. So, you know, it, it, and furthermore, the California state constitution says all votes for recalls shall be private. Uh, now, it doesn't say that about the signatures necessarily, but, uh, you know, it's hard to think that uh, a vote should be kept private but not your signature to have the vote. Uh, so, it, you know, this is a real overreach by the Democrats. I, I don't know if this can be challenged in court, if it can be challenged in court in time, but it seems this is such a blatant power grab that they're even trying to go against the existing California state constitution. I mean, it, it's – it's really startling. It absolutely is. And I think, I think the thing that's scary here, I want to read you a, a quote from Josh Newman in the Orange County Register, John. Okay. He is talking about this bill, saying why he is in favor of it. <laughs> he, he has claimed, this is the embattled state senator Josh Newman, he has claimed, well, I, I have all these people coming up to me, thousands and thousands of people that are coming up to me and saying, oh, I didn't know that this was about recalling you. It said, stop the, it said stop the car tax. And I thought it was repealing the car tax. Well, okay, listen, folks. Yeah. Yes. He it, voted for the car he tax. He voted for the car tax. <laughs> now, is it true that recalling Josh Newman will not stop the car tax? It will not immediately stop the car tax. No. But it is a way to show that the people do not want to have their rights. Yeah, that the voters in his district disagreed with what he did, and so they're going to recall him. That's politics. So I want to read this to you. This is what Josh Newman said. And listen to the real Orwellian chilling language that Newman uses. He says, well, look, this bill creates a buffer period where I think reasonably we can go and find out who among the signers – did not do this intentionally or who was falsely persuaded to do so and give them a chance to remove it. Look, the signature page probably very clearly says to recall Josh Newman. Right. Like that that's what it says. This is such nonsense. And who is going to do the persuading? Is it going to be some guy named, you know, Vito or Moose or Rocco <laughs> with a baseball bat? Right. Like, like who like the idea that you're going to have free people in a free electoral system are signing a petition, and then you're going to you're explicitly admitting that you're going to try to go to them and say, "Hey, we can did you go and really find out? Si- did you really mean to sign that? Have people actually asked them? That is ludicrous. Yes. If President Trump tried to do something oh, like this, it would be the end of it would be the end of democracy as right. we know it from the left. But when the Democrats do it. Well, there, no one cares. John, you remember, I mean, again, as a nonpartisan show, but you remember the outcry there was when President Trump just suggested maybe we should open up libel laws to make it easier to sue people that yeah. print legitimately fake news. And, and in fairness, that's kind of a dumb idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's a very stupid idea. But the out, And the outcry from the left was, that's a terrible idea. This is chilling democracy. This is an attack amendment. on the First Amendment. And, and I agree. It was, a, it was silly for President Trump to say it. It's far sillier and far more dangerous yes. that the Democrats are doing because they actually have the political clout to do it. Yes. And as Joel Anderson said on the floor, quote, our recall laws are over 100 years old, and yet we're trying to see, sneak something through in the dark of night that hasn't been heard by any policy committee. And that's why this is such it's a bad bizarre. idea. Folks, we're going to come here and wrap up on this episode of Life, Family, Liberty in just a few minutes. Stay tuned after the break.
Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of Life, Family, Liberty. Glad you were able to join us today. Our special thanks to John Girardi, my co-host, for being with us today. Always good to be here. And special thanks also to Assemblyman Jim Patterson. Yeah, that was quite the get. Very excited he was able to join us today and talk about why this is such a serious issue. And folks, I just want to, again, reiterate, this is not about Josh Newman, a Democrat. This is not about the Republican Party. We are, again, a nonpartisan show. We're not advocating for any party. Yeah, we're not supporting his recall. We're supporting maintaining the controls and constraints and protections of our Republican form of government here in the state. And here's the thing that's that's kind of amazing to me, John. In the Sacramento Bee, one of the authors, uh, Dan Moraine, writes an opinion column, and he basically is trying to talk about the fact that this is unjust, it's unfair. He says Republicans are seizing an opportunity, but to be fair, at least he says this, Republicans are seizing an opportunity just as Democrats have done. In 2008, then-Senate President Pro Tem Don Parada tried to recall Republican Jeff Denham for no good reason. Denham rightly beat the recall and won a congressional seat. Right. That's the way it should work. Yeah. (laughs) If you want to spend your time and effort to try to recall someone, there isn't any provision in the California Constitution that says, all right, these are the provisions that let you recall someone uh, as long as you have a good reason. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) It can be any reason or no reason at all. It's the same thing as voting. John, you can go and vote for any candidate for any reason or no reason at all. I don't have to like the reason you vote for somebody. I don't have to agree with it. It's up to you. It's yeah. totally voluntary. And and let's be frank. Do you think Donald Trump would have been elected if the votes were public? Well, gosh. I mean, not even maybe. I, I, I don't think there's a chance in the world he would have been elected if everyone had to publicize their votes. Oh, uh, and, and even and, worse. And I don't think – I think a lot of people would not get elected if their votes were publicized. And I think that's – a wonderful part about our American system is that our votes are secret and what people believe gets expressed. Yeah. They're not intimidated into changing what you believe. And, John, think about this on the flip side. Do you think he would have stayed elected if after he had won the election there was a 30-day period where all those voters could change their votes? Yeah, no, not even maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a chilling attack on democracy. Folks, we're going to get back to our regular set of topics next week, but we thought this was such an urgent, vital issue. We really needed to bring it up to your attention. Again, thanks, everybody at the office for helping us with the mailer today. I'll be there in a few minutes, and we will both be back next week on Life, Family, Liberty. Liberty.